This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, February 17th, 2023, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak for breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Mm. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family. Not going to lie, the MyPillow version 2.0s. better than the originals. Wow. Enter promo code STEAK at checkoff. You're going to get buy one, get one free. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched my coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pot. You know, promo code stake here. You're getting 25% off your order, 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash stake. If you want the pillows, if you want the coffee, mystore.com forward slash stake. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can only be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming... Potting, trying to make it one living organism this week. Oh. Get those deer needs taken care of and done up right. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, to everyone joining us today from the Republican High Command, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Getter, Twitter, and True Social. Welcome. Friday edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 214. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Guys, our show is packed today. We're going to be live on the ground in East Palestine. We're going to take you up on Capitol Hill with one of our favorite congressmen, and we're going to sit down with John Solomon a little bit later. But before we get into any of that, let's jump right into the news. On the water, the water is good, the air is good, but we understand people have concerns. Well, Governor, so, why, we if the air is good sir. and the water is good, why are residents saying, here's some of the quotes, I don't see birds in, in my property anymore. The rivers have dead fish in them and worms. My throat has been burning, a horrible cough, sneezing, congestion, eyes burning. <laughs> I mean, clearly they're experiencing this. So if the air is clean and the water is clean, how do you explain that? Well, Look, we, we've, we've, this is why we're going to bring in the best experts in the country. What are you waiting for? Uh, it's already been two weeks. In, in it's already area. been two and weeks. We've already had, we already had, excuse me, we already had, uh, you know, we've had our director of health, Dr. Vanderhoff, who has been in the community talking, talking with people. We've told people, you know, you need to go to see your individual doctor. But we also know there are people who may not have an individual doctor. We know there are people who may not have insurance. Mm -hmm. And that's why setting up this clinic 
to assure people and to talk to people one-on-one, have them come in and do an assessment. Right. And again, the docs who will be there sure. will have direct access to the best people in the country right. who, who understand toxicity. Okay, which we do not. So we have to rely on the experts. Well, thank you for having us, Dana. And let me just say that we have been on the ground since day one, partnering with the state. Uh, we have to be transparent. We have to provide data. And that's what we're doing. Um, you know, it reminds me of that scene in Aaron Brockovich where she puts the, the water in front of him and says, if you think it's clean, we brought this water from, uh, you know, the, the, the community that was affected. Uh, look, I, I think that if the EPA administrator wants to stand here and tell people that the tap water is safe, by all means, uh, they should be willing to drink it. Are you? Uh, no, I just told, uh, I told Tom, I think that uh, if I was living here, uh, I would drink the bottled water for now, better safe than sorry, especially since it's being provided for free. Uh, that's the guidance I would give. But again, you know, residents are going to make their own decisions on this. But my honest personal advice is I'd be drinking the bottled water right now. Buddha judge has gotten some criticism, uh, some of it, much of it in Ohio, some of it from Democrats and Republicans, who argue that he waited too long to respond, and then he's is seemed to be fixated on trying to deflect blame to the previous administration. So, does the president is he satisfied with the with the uh, government's response to this derailment, and is he uh, does he have confidence in continue yes, to have confidence? Yes, absolutely. In I can answer that very quickly and very uh, with, with quick with confidence from here that we do have uh, absolute confidence in, in Mayor Pete. And I always say that, Secretary uh, Buttigieg. Well, those were some of the sounds that uh, kind of shaped the week in regards to the Ohio train disaster. And this is Steak for Breakfast. If it's your first time listening, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. Guys, don't forget to follow us on all social medias. Just type in Steak for Breakfast Podcast. You'll find us on Twitter, Getter, True Social, Instagram. Also, really important, subscribe to us on Apple uh, Podcasts. Spotify, Google Podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast, subscribe to the show, leave a rating, review it, hit the notification bell so you know when the newest episodes of the shows are dropping. And I'll tell you what's not dropping. It's the temperature in East Palestine, Ohio. Noah, I know you've been tracking this. We were talking about it before the show. And uh, this is this is probably one of the greatest disasters. And now, listen, I, I don't want to take credit away from this regime. They do know their <laughs> ecological disasters because it's been proven not too long ago that they caused a pretty big one uh, when they blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. But talking domestically now, this is probably the biggest one that Joe Biden's had to deal with uh, since he's became president and uh this is kind of where we're at what, what are you seeing it's it's amazing just this everything that we've seen so far is just utter incompetence on top of just shadiness beyond shadiness like the fact that people are going around like oh hi we're giving away free testing for your home to make sure that you know there's no chemicals in your home and that you're going to be safe and uh, just sign here that uh you know, we'll never be liable for any uh, future uh, future stuff that's going to happen to you. Yeah, the residents are like, you mean train chemicals in our home? They're like, no, just chemical chemicals. In yeah, your you home. know, like you know, you know, <laughs> bleach. You know, from cleaning. Man, and, and in a time when everybody's becoming the expert, we're going to talk to one in just a little bit, Nick Sorter, who's been on the ground there reporting. You I'm know. just mad that we can't get Greta Thunberg mm. to fly by in a private jet and yell, "How dare you!" out the window. At least at this point. Well, maybe he'll be telling the EPA how dare you when he joins us <laughs> in just a bit. So I, I, th I think, you know, a lot that 
listen, blame can go in a lot of different directions regarding this matter. Really? Obviously, well, you have Mayor Pete who's been, man, this is, what, number three for him right now. Uh, we, we've had, you know, so many problems under him. Supply chain, number one. Well, I think what happened was the train actually got a ride mm-hmm. on another train, mm. and then it was getting on the tracks to ride into town like it rode into town on the tracks itself. And that's so, what happened. That's so, how it derailed. Sounds like this train was from the wrong side of the tracks. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a- after the supply chain issue, we obviously had the uh, FAA airspace nationally shut down for the first time since 9-11, in and out of the news cycle. No one even blinked on that one. I didn't even hear about that until you told me. You're welcome. And now this. No, but that's, it's, it's like a complete media blackout about this stuff. It's like, oh, yeah, we're just going to talk about anything but this. Like what? What can we talk about? Uh, the, the the video awards or Grammys or whatever the fuck just happened? Yeah, everybody's wearing Saran wrap and looking like Tupperware containers. It's like Close Encounters of the Third Kind down there <laughs> at, at Ground Zero, or not, depending on on which side of the story you're believing. A lot of the stuff we've seen from citizen journalists throughout the area, though, is showing like you know very dirty and disgusting water in the creeks, rivers, and streams. Uh, you've got people who are talking about you know mild burns on their skin, definitely uh, ear, nose, and throat irritations and stuff like that. It and, sounds like everything's fine. Yeah. Animals dying, birds. We saw people with like chicken coops. There's like obviously fish and worms that are in the riverbeds. And, you know, for the people in the greater Ohio River Valley right now, um, it's a very dangerous situation because they are experiencing a little bit of uh, weather out there today. Mm-hmm. So, well, there's probably a lot of people out there that live relatively on their own. Like they, they grow their own food, they have their own water. Well, they have like a, a well. Pretty self-sufficient people. Self-sufficient, yeah. Which, you know, I'd like to get there eventually, but it just goes to show you how how the government can fuck you even out of that. Yeah, and, and when you look at the people who have been making it onto the uh, legacy media news circuit in the evenings on, like, the Hannity's and the Tucker Carlson shows, it seems like they are some of the, uh, you know, absolute best that America has to offer. Hard-working, blue-collar class families who are just really stressed out about this situation right now, and the only reason is because they're not getting any answers. Well, and they, there's nowhere they can go. It's like, you know, well, they probably work in the town. They have they run a business or something. They can't just close down completely. Although I'm sure some of them have, and they're probably incurring more massive debt than they already incurred during the COVID bullshit. Well, I caught on the news right before the shows. They plan on opening up schools full go again on Monday. So very alarming. <laughs> Are they going to make more masks? <laughs> mm, good question. Uh, one one who wasn't up to answering very many questions was was transportation secretary. Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who jumped on with Yahoo News yesterday, he went outside of the legacy media and just went straight corporate. And uh, you'll never guess where he shifted some of the blame. Let's hear it. Look, rail safety is something that uh, that has evolved a lot over the years, but there's clearly more that needs to be done because uh, while this uh, horrible situation has gotten a particularly high amount of attention, there are roughly 1,000 cases a year of a train derailing. And he would go on to talk about how some of the uh, regulations that were either lifted or still in place from the prior administration, that would be like his quote of the friggin' how many, incident How, how many right times now. have we had the airspace shut down since 9-11? I believe it's zero. So not however many times he just said? Yeah. <laughs> we have a 1,000 trained derailments a year, according to Pete Buttigieg, which, which you know, there, there's a big difference between... Are, gonna, are those going to be like gun statistics, like gunfire, like a gang shooting is going to count, like the... One of the wheels slipped off while they were, you know, transferring from tracks or something like that? Or is it just going to be an actual derailment where something crashed? Like, come on. Only if you 
think that the AR in AR-15 means assault rifle. Oh, it doesn't? How dare you, Geraldo? A member of Joe Biden's own administration called out uh, U.S. Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, today. If the Biden administration is is calling you out, there's problems. They're they're literally about to roll over on you and just make you the fucking fall guy. Yeah, a true story. They refuted his claims about the train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, and uh, in which he he made loaded comments which blamed President Trump. They labeled it as misinformation. Did he say trains were racist yet? Well, you know, it, here's no tracks are racist. That's why it derailed. Here's the tweet from Buddha Judge, and it says we're constrained by law on some areas of rail regulation, like the breaking rule withdrawn by the Trump administration in 2018 because the law passed by Congress in 2015. But we are using the powers we do have to keep people safe. And then he kind of uh, he tweeted that with showing like some of the placards for hazmats mm-hmm. on, uh, you know, the containers that are on these trains. And the fact check came as. Uh, the National Transportation Safety Board chair, Jennifer uh, Hamaday, took to Twitter to implore to the public, please stop spreading this misinformation about what caused the train disaster. And uh, she mentioned the false claim promulgated by Buddha Judge. Mm. She said, for example, there are some saying that the ECP electronically controlled uh, phonetic brake rule, if implemented, would have prevented this derailment. That is unequivocally false. Mm-hmm. So... That's kind of where Mayor Pete's week has been going, and he's yet to go out there because he really doesn't care. When he got pressed earlier in the week, and it's kind of a dated clip, so I didn't include it in the show, he was doing some kind of town hall talking about, like, infrastructure. And they started to say, like, you know, when he started fielding questions, they're like, so do you want to touch on this? Like, maybe give us an update on what's going (laughs) on. they say no, like Joe? He did, and then he went, he segued right into talking about how there's too many Caucasian males in construction. Oh, right. And that's why infrastructure in our country is so bad. How dare we? Wow, I was just joking about the making it about racism, but he did it. Yeah. Don't forget, math is racist too. Fuck. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's been kind of a busy week for the administration, uh, top to bottom, and we're going to get on that and kind of paint that picture for you guys today throughout the course of the show. Uh, we're also probably going to touch on the congressional response in just a bit. Uh, we're also set to sit down with New York 3 Congressman George Santos a little bit later as well. Uh, Senator Vance has been doing a lot of rounds in the cable news circuit as he was kind of tied to, to DC this week as, uh, senatorial confirmation hearings for chairs like the FCC and federal judges were up and, and his vote is crucial. in a lot of those, even though like people like Lindsey Graham and, and Mitch McConnell are voting for the Democrat nominees, regardless, Hey, you want to hear a fun fact? And I know we love him so much on this show. What do you got at this point right now? Trump administration time, Donald Trump had confirmed 85 federal judges. Mm -hmm. Joe Biden has confirmed 104 already, same amount of time, and he's got at least two more on the docket that are set to pass this week. So by the end of the day today, which is Friday. That's a lot. That is a lot. That's a little much. Yeah, well, like I said in a tweet and most recently on the show, Mitch McConnell is as big of a problem for the Republicans as anyone in the Democrat Party is, and I really hope his bridge... And a couple confirmations that he pushed through during the Trump administration was worth the absolute disaster he's handing this country by collaborating with Joe Biden and his regime on a regular basis. 
Circling back to Senator Vance, though, like I said, he's been doing a lot of work while participating in these confirmation hearings of getting on the news and trying to bring awareness about the situation. He actually made it out to East Palestine yesterday. Let's hear him kind of weigh in on the situation and uh, talk about the high marks he's got for Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg. Well, there's a few things, Maria. First of all, Governor DeWine is exactly right. This train was not labeled as high hazardous. We're looking into why that was. That's likely a screw up on the Department of Transportation side, and we're trying to investigate that as we speak. Uh, the second thing, the thing that we're most focused on right now, Maria, is the quality of the air and water, especially the water. Uh, we're encouraging everybody to get their ground wells tested. There are a lot of private wells in this area, and we want to make sure that the water is safe to drink. The EPA, we've been really hammering them on what the acceptable safety levels are uh, for the drinking water in East Palestine. We've yet to get the answers that we want, and so we're c continuing to follow up on that. Uh, and then there's, there's the third element of this, Maria, is why did this happen in the first place? Why wasn't the train labeled as high hazardous? That means that a lot of people didn't know what was on the train in the first place. Why have we gotten into a position where we're having hundreds of train derailments every year in this country when we just spent a trillion dollars on infrastructure? This stuff should be becoming less likely, uh, not happening as frequently as it is. So there's there's a lot of issues here, but right now my main focus is the health and safety of the groundwater in East Palestine. Yeah. Mm. Really sad. And, and, you know, just the, the way that this administration has continued to operate so recklessly and freely over the course of the last two plus years now, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where, thank goodness we have people who won their election like Senator Vance. In addition, Great friend of the show, Noah. He always stays on extra and talks with us every mm -hmm. time he's on. Uh, congressman from Ohio, uh, U.S. Representative Max Miller. I texted him yesterday because I knew he's back in district, and I just said, like, hey, man, you busy? And he's like, not for you guys. And I asked him. Nice. I, I said, just give me, like, the absolute truth about what's going on down there. He said, you know, he's okay where he's at in his district. He says the incident happened a couple hours away from where they're at. Uh, Hopefully he, not downwind. He well, he said where they're at right now is fine, but he said the drinking water isn't. Really? That's what I'm reading the text message right now. And he's how far away, did you say? Uh, it says a couple hours away. A couple hours away. Mm -hmm. Within what? How long? A week? Uh, we're at two weeks right now. Two weeks? Yeah. Drinking water is not okay. Yep. That's how fast the shit spreads. It's wild. And they're having some storms uh, over the weekend there. And then I said, you know what? Max, thanks for getting back to me so fast. As soon as you get up on Capitol Hill, we'll schedule back on the show. I said, if you, if this is what you want to talk about, we'll hit it hard. And he said, a thousand percent, anything you guys need, I'm always here. And I said, we're going to relay the message to our listenership tomorrow. And here I am relaying it to you guys. So that's Congressman Max Miller uh, from Ohio weighing in on the situation on the ground in his district right now. You know, we try to, we try to present it to you guys in a way that's factual and true, but in addition, bring you as many people who are as closely related to the situation to kind of tie that together, which is where we're going to segue to right now and take it out to East Palestine, Ohio, where the host of the largest Twitter space and, well, I guess you call him an accidental journalist, has been providing some of the most comprehensive coverage on the toxic train explosion. Nick Sorter, thanks for coming on Steak for Breakfast with us today, sir. Absolutely. Thank you for uh, having me. Well... I'd ask you how things are going, but I can only assume uh, we've seen a lot of your work. Uh, you've jumped on some of the cable news networks. I watched your piece on Tucker uh, recently and uh, saw you on War Room this morning. 
But uh, what can you tell our listenership right now as we're just coming out of the news as it was developing over the course of the last couple of days on our show, kind of laying it out for them? What's it like live on the ground in East Palestine right now? Things have changed a lot in the past three days, and I'm really hoping that the momentum that we have built up uh, continues to uh, to make people here uh, have more hope, right? And, and it's essentially been a pressure campaign, right? The federal government was totally ignoring this issue before. Um, you know, it, it's hard for me to believe that the EPA administrator for uh, the, the the worst environmental disaster that uh, we've had in recent American history decided just to come out yesterday, 13 days after the train explosion, right? And it seems like that has a lot to do with independent journalists uh, like like yourselves and, and, and me and and others coming out here and really highlighting this story because these people were really feeling abandoned. Um, you know, yesterday we also saw both U.S. senators for Ohio come out. And like I said, I just can't figure out why this wasn't done before. These people need the support. They need to feel like they're not being ignored by their government. What does the environmental situation on the ground look like right now? I mean, obviously, there's very limited information that's coming out specifically related to the explosion and what the aftermath or repercussions of that explosion could be. But when you're talking with the citizens who live in East Palestine, what are some of the things they're telling you? I've seen people like throwing rocks or poking sticks in, in the streams over there that, that show some very, uh, you know, alarming. Uh, I don't know. What would you what would you call it? It looks like an oil slick. They throw a rock in there, and then it just comes up like a rainbow, yep. like yeah. like when you see oil on the top of the water. Everything to bottling up water, which looks just absolutely filthy and, and probably is ridiculously contaminated. What are you seeing? Well, the video that you're referring to with throwing a rock in the water was actually my video. Oh, nice. Um, that was uh, it, it, the, the coolest part about that is the fact that, I mean, it's up to like 12 and a half million views or something like that on Twitter. And I still cannot figure out why nobody had noticed that before. There's no way you're going to tell me that the EPA or Norfolk Southern didn't know that there was that tremendous amount of chemicals in the water. Uh, because, you know, they've been wading through it or whatever. They put the, uh, uh, the barriers up to try to, you know, keep the chemicals from flowing down the river. Clearly, that didn't help anything. Uh, because you can go miles down these streams and do the same thing and you'll get the same result that I, I got. And, you know, so, I mean, it, that's pretty much just more evidence that they're covering this stuff up. And it's really interesting because, like, when you see oil an oil slick on, on water, it stays on the surface. This looks like you're throwing a rock, it's hitting the bottom of the riverbed or whatever, and then it's causing it to come up and hit the surface. It's really strange. Like, it's a heavy like a heavy metal or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's some of the, some of the alarming right. scenes. That nope. We've you're 100% there. right. Yeah. Now you mentioned a lot of the people who are involved with this at the official level. It seems like every time uh, governor DeWine comes out, it, it looks like there's like a gun to his back pretty much just by the way he's delivering his message. It seems like it's very prepared. He can't answer questions. He can't go off script and he looks very uncomfortable. And then you've seen like the nonchalant reaction. You already mentioned it. Michael Reagan over at the EPA, uh, another 100% awesome equity hire for the Biden administration, someone who's probably ill-equipped to do the job, obviously, uh, w with the response nearly two weeks full. 
since the train explosion, getting out there and, and then passively just kind of, you know, skirting the media and, and trying to reassure these people that everything's fine, even though we all know it's not. And then, you, you know, Pete Buttigieg, a lot of this falls on him uh, in regards to transportation and infrastructure. And the fact of the matter is, is that I don't know if you saw it, but today the Biden administration actually fact checked his commentary on blaming part of this train derailment on the Trump administration. Ouch. So, yeah, that's that's kind of where we're at. We covered that a little bit earlier in our show today. And uh, what are these officials uh, plan on doing, do you think, now that they're actually on the ground there and starting to do a little bit of work? Well, the issue with it is, I, I almost think what happened yesterday, uh, a lot of it was for show, right? Because th- they have been hit so hard this week and the, and some of the mainstream media has actually started paying at least a little bit of attention to the situation. Yeah. I personally don't think they're doing anything on the ground yet. They are really hoping and praying that this situation is going to, to be pushed to the wayside and that people are going to stop caring. And, and then they, you know, and then they, they won't really have to do much. They won't be much accountability. Um, you know, politically speaking, that would be the best thing ever for them. But, you know, I, I am not, I'm not losing hope here, but I'm also, I, I've lost hope in the government, that's for sure. But I, I'm really hoping that people will not give up on this story. And, you know, we'll keep up that, that pressure on the federal government, especially. Yeah, you had mentioned Senator Vance was out there yesterday. We know, uh, you know, he's been caught up in confirmation hearings uh, this week up on Capitol Hill, which are very important. The votes there for for things like the FCC chair and and some federal judges that are going to be going to the circuits throughout the company. It was I'm glad he made it out there, but just the reactionary time to uh, you know start showing face and you know he's got on Tucker and Hannity and and made the case for the people out there. But we don't like to give people a free pass. If this is as big of a ecological disaster as the people on the ground like yourself, Nick, are saying. Uh, you know, we, these people should have been out here night of or day after. And, uh, you know, now, like a lot of things, they, they react to, to what happens and we clean up the mess afterwards, both figuratively and literally, which is something we were talking about off camera. Last thing I want to touch with you on on this, probably alarming for our listenership to hear, you guys are having some precipitation in the area today. Yeah. And, and that could uh, eventually lead to, you know, a lot of contaminants in the atmosphere being spread even further now. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And people here are legitimately worried about that. Um, you, you know, the the uh, it, it did rain just a little bit the other day and people would not, you know, uh, they didn't want to get out of their cars. They, they wouldn't they wouldn't even go out, you know, anywhere. They were all just camping out in their houses because they don't know what's in this rain. I mean, is it acid rain? Is it is it going to is it going to burn their skin? I mean, there's so many different things because they don't trust anything the government is telling them. About what's in the air. And so they're thinking like every possibility. Obviously, they they don't want to be in the situation where it does end up being something like acid rain and and you know, and then regret it later because, you know, in their minds they're they're kind of they're kind of on their own here to figure this out. Mm Yeah, it's just uh, a lot of accountability that that is that no one's being held accountable for. Everything from you know, like you heard, you mentioned the No Fork Southern and their big backing by J.P. Morgan, BlackRock, and Vanguard, and their endless slew of lawyers, all the way up to uh, you know people up in Congress and 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 a lot of you know even cabinet officials that are slow rolling. This is uh, the only people that are going to suffer are the people that live in that area and how far this disaster is, is allowed to spread before we you know. Hearing that FEMA uh, aid is still being denied, like they haven't crossed any kind of threshold right now to warrant any kind of FEMA aid is probably one of the 
most horrible things I've heard since our slow responses to like major storms or hurricanes. Yeah, and there's there's some conflicting things on that. Um, it seems like there is, I, I, what I've heard to the grapevine, there is going to be a FEMA statement here later um, talking about how Norfolk Southern is going to put the entire bill, um, which is why they're not giving aid. That's their reasoning. Another form of reasoning I've heard is that Mike DeWine doesn't want to doesn't want to declare uh, uh, this situation to be a disaster, and so FEMA only wants to come in if it's a disaster. And you know, so there's a lot of finger pointing, and uh, FEMA uh, FEMA is not very good at what they do to begin with. Right. But you know, at least it's something. So no, it's uh, things we're going to be keeping an eye on. We're going to be keeping an eye on you, Nick. If if we have any developments uh, that are coming up here soon, we're obviously going to reach out and try to get you back on the show as soon as possible. But for everyone that's not following you, can you tell us where we can? Uh, and we'll live link them in the show description today. Sure. It's uh, uh, the best place to get me is on Twitter. Uh, it's at Nick Sorter, it's, which is N I C K S O R P O R. And I post live updates there uh, plenty of times throughout the day. Which is why I asked about getting you on the show today, yesterday, and I'm glad you were able to join us. We're also going to uh, encourage people to go check out your your Twitter space, which is the largest one on Twitter. You want to tell our listenership about that briefly? Sure. It's called the uh, we call it it's a roundtable show. Basically, we take uh, usually about ten experts on an issue, uh, and then we we you know we let them debate it. Uh, you know, because it's kind of important to get uh, as many different uh, opinions from these experts as we possibly can it's like you know i do believe that we're going to have a a show on on this at some point hopefully tomorrow um you know because this is a very uh divisive story even even among experts which is very interesting i had some that were telling me i needed a full hazmat suit and then other people that telling me i needed nothing at all uh and they both are in the same industry which is is really weird so uh so that, that that kind of stuff is pretty interesting but you know, we'd love to have you guys on at some point too. We'd be more, we'd be more than inclined to join you. You just uh, let me know you've got my number now, Nick. And uh, you be careful out there. You're providing some of the most comprehensive coverage of this situation. We really appreciate you taking the time to uh, join us on Steak for Breakfast today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Take care, friends. I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is hand-picked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you enter promo code STEAK here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. With one of our favorite guests returning since uh, he's been sworn in, he's representing New York Three, Congressman George Santos. Thanks for coming back on Steak for Breakfast. Oh, thank you for having me, guys. Well, it's our pleasure, sir. How's everything going with you? I'm good. Uh, you know, the, the one thing people uh, underestimate about me is that they forget I'm from Queens, New York City. And if we quite frankly remember who else is from Queens, New York, we're all built a very different way. <laughs> You know, so I, I'm doing very well. No, that's good to hear because, uh, you know, just touching on it briefly, you have been a part of a lot of ambush-style 
interviews where, you know, I'm sure a lot of these people coordinate with you and say, hey, listen, we want to come on. We want to give you the opportunity to talk about whatever your side of the story is and then some of the issues in Congress, which is what we're going to actually talk about today. But but then, you know, it, it seems like everybody's going for their aha moment. And uh, I think one of the things people have underestimated about you, especially ones who don't know your history in, in running for Congress and what happened with the 2020 election there as well, which you talked with our listenership about on the show last time you were on right before the general election, uh, was that you have pretty strong resolve. And, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, uh, is showing good now because it's obviously you can't walk out of your house or into the office without a mob chasing you around and it's got to be really annoying. But aside from that, I mean, I'm pretty sure that you're getting ready to uh, really get to work for the people of New York three. So how has the kickoff of the 118th session of Congress been for you so far? So um, between the 15 votes to elect our speaker, which was uh, pretty interesting, uh, to say the least. So it's been an eventful start to the 118, uh, specifically for me. Um, but the great part about it is is that what, what this is allowing me to is to ignore the media. The media has created a determination in me, which is simple. Ignore them, work for the people who sent you here, and get the job done. So with that, we've been able to jump onto over a dozen bills as co-sponsors. We are offering amendments to a few other bills we're interested in. I'm already in the process of two original bills that will be hitting the floor very soon that I'll be introducing on the floor, not hitting the floor, pardon me, that I will be introducing on the House floor very soon. So with all these things considered, while they think that I'm sitting in my office crying or just hiding from them and consuming myself and thinking that it's all about how do I dodge them? The reality is I'm actually getting down to work. The one thing people underestimate about me and don't know about me because they just don't know me as a person because I, you know, I, I haven't been in the public eye for so long. Right. Um, is that I'm a dork. I'm a geek at heart. I love to read and research stuff. And bill and legislation is all like, this is, this is, I am discovering this has been my passion all my life and I didn't know it. And I love it. I think this is fantastic that you can leave your mark and you can work for the people that you care about. Well, that's one of the things we've talked about this, uh, you know, on the show since the midterm elections. Uh, we, we have talked about the historic levels of your wins, uh, the amount of flippage it took to, you know, like a Biden essentially plus 20, 23 to a Santos plus eight or nine. And the fact of the matter is, is that regardless of whatever happened, you know, uh, with your resume throughout the course of the thing, your legacy will be how much of your campaign you back up on Capitol Hill for the constituents of New York 3 and New York 3 only. Uh, I know a lot of people in the media wanted to make things like national stories, but when you kind of just look at it as someone who covers politics on a regular basis, you know, we've had some of the people that you're close with up on Capitol Hill, like Congressman Gates. We talked off camera with him about uh, you briefly. And, and, and you know, just, just getting to know you over the course of the times that you've been on the show with us before – it does seem like you, you are deeply entrenched here to get to work for so, the people. So you touched on some of the legislation that you're, that you're co-sponsoring and maybe some things that are coming down the pike. What are some of the things New York 3 can look forward to in regards to what George Santos is doing for them in the coming weeks or months? Well, look, the reality is, is uh, I'll put it this way. There's, if you look at the bills that I've co-sponsored, some of them are just uh, outright opportunity bills that, that don't benefit just New York 3, but benefit the American people at large, especially on the education front, uh, on the Virginia Fox bill that I was a uh, co-sponsor, or on the Corey Mills bill that I, was, I just recently co-sponsored, which protects the innocence of our children. I'm, I'm the co-sponsor of the bill, and I'm the only one getting heat across the entire country because I co-sponsored a bill that would essentially remove sexualization from literature provided to kids in elementary school. Right. This is, this is what they're mad about, that I want to remove any sexual content from kids 
eyes in elementary school. It's not my bill. I co-sponsored it because I believe in it. And I think it's a great bill by the representative from Florida 7th District. But these folks are making it about me instead of making it about what the bill is. And uh, something you can look forward to that I'm working on now is on, you know, we're trying to put together a bill and, and it takes a lot of it's a lot of avenues to get it done. But this is an, a bill that would benefit the infrastructure of New York's third district, which is essentially we have an issue here that's very unique to us. Our electrical grid is not buried. It's above ground. Right. And it would take billions probably to bury all of it. But somebody has to start. And I've made it my goal that within the next two years, I will fight for a bill and appropriations to at least start building it. And if I'm given the opportunity to serve a second term, a third term, if I choose to do that, I will continue to make sure that I can put forward that. That would be a legacy that I would be honored to hold. Something that many have promised, but nobody have, none of them have been able to physically start the project, survey the project, right? I want to get it done. And I have two years to at least do that and, you know, move forward. That would create anchor jobs in the district. That would create high-paying competitive jobs in the district. There's an element about it that would be good environmentally speaking as well because the amount of, you know, I, I, when I say environmentally speaking, I say good for the environment of the residents living in the surrounding area, mm -hmm. right? And the quality of life impact that it would have for them. That's important to me. Right. That's important to my district. So these are these are some of the projects that I'm engaging in. And then, look, if you really look at my report card now, and I'm proud to say this, I am amongst the top 20 most conservative members of the 118th Congress. And I plan to hold that position because that's what I promised I'd be. And that's who I am. And I'm going to continue to go down that path. And it's really fun when you look at the board and you say, oh, did George Santos just vote to the right of some of the most conservative members of Congress? Yes, he did. Oh, <laughs> so I like that. You'll, you'll find out after a very short amount of time. Sometimes it's not that hard. And circling back to that bill that you were on with uh, Corey Mills, he's a regular on our show. He pops on about three, four times a month. And uh, he talked about that last time he was on. Very passionate about it. And it's very awesome that, that you're able to be a part of that in, in co-sponsorship because that's something that – we don't probably in the political spectrum talk about enough. You know, we sometimes bring in guests when it's relevant, uh, you know, at the national level, what people are doing. But it's good to see uh, our congressional counterparts up there on Capitol Hill working on legislation that's really going to make education what it's supposed to be for kids. It's a learning experience, a growing experience, not sex ed 24-7, especially from, you know, young ages of like kindergarten and up. Look, you guys, I'm pretty sure you guys are familiar with this one specific book. It's called Gender Queer. Yeah. Yeah. That book has no business in an elementary or intermediate school. And I go out to say that if it were to be placed in a high school, it would require parent parental consent and it should be brought up on a vote in the school board to determine whether that book makes it into the library or not. Period. And I'll fight this one until my grave. That book is not meant for children. No, it certainly isn't. And just touching back with Congressman Mills, we actually had uh, Catalina Stubbe on the same day as him, who's a huge advocate, Moms for Liberty, uh, you know, out of Florida. And, and she, that's one of the huge things that she's been going after. You know, she said, we don't do book burnings here, but when, it, when you reference that book, it comes pretty close. And that's where I think a lot of people are at. If you haven't seen it online, you've at least seen the blurred images of it online or, or on like shows like Tucker Carlson and stuff like that where they show it on a regular basis and, uh, you know, try to bring awareness to the parents like, hey, listen, it's, it's cool to see, you know, 
how Ted Cruz dunked on somebody in a confirmation hearing for whatever position Joe Biden's nominating, but at the same time, this is what gets shown to your kids at school on the exact same day. George, last thing I want to touch with you on, I think it's really important, it's the top story pretty much everywhere right now, and it's what happened uh, out in East Palestine, Ohio. We just wrapped a segment on it, and uh, just by hearing from some of your counterparts I've talked to over the last 24 hours, Max Miller, who's back out in his district in Ohio on the ground, who's also a great friend of the show, what is Congress looking to do when you guys get back into session after next week to hold this administration accountable for everything from what's going on with the Transportation Department and just general infrastructure all the way down to the response or lack thereof and and stuff like not even being able to uh, have eligibility for things like FEMA assistance at this point? I will say this to you uh, in, in, in accordance to what's going on in East Palestine. First of all, my heart goes out to all the families, to all the members of government, local government there that are working tirelessly. Look at that mayor. He gave such a passionate, impassionate interview the other day. I, I, I got teary-eyed because the man is, he's, he's rooting for his people, you know. And it's sad to see that the federal government is not doing much. I mean, the, the, the head of the EPA shows up. Where's Pete Buttigieg? Where's Joe Biden? This is a this is a absolute disaster, environmental disaster. It's crazy that Republicans, conservatives, are the one ringing the alarms on the environmental impact of this, and Democrats are trying to dismiss it as a common occurrence. Now, Pete Buttigieg going on national television and saying that uh, thousands of accidents like this happen a year, then that means you're failing at your job. You're the the the, the, the Secretary of Transportation. You're not qualified to be the Secretary of Transportation, but that's your job. And I want you to succeed. I don't want him to fail. I don't want Biden to fail. I want these people to succeed. So for once, prove us wrong right. and do your jobs and be successful for the people. We're going to be briefed on the East Palestine thing, finally, thanks to media pressure. Now it's actually good. We're going to be briefed on the situation on the ground there, and I look forward to understanding what's going on. And again, I think we need to hold these rail executives accountable. Yeah. I don't I don't understand how that ancient train was still even commissioned to be trans- transporting the chemicals it was transporting. The thing's ancient. No, it's uh, a lot of questions that have yet to be answered. We started to kind of, you know, crack the shell today in the beginning of our show. We're continuing through it now, getting some opinion from you, and we're going to continue to track this as well. It has been the on the ground and a lot of citizen journalism that has brought attention to this uh, over the course of the last two weeks. It was great to see Senator Vance out there over the last couple of days as well, providing his support to the people there and trying to hold, you know, some of the authorities that are responding or not to the situation accountable and, uh, we're just going to keep tracking it. Like, we're going to keep tracking you, Congressman, and we're already looking forward to the next time you're going to join us, which hopefully won't be too long from now. We're going to link your congressional website so everybody can check out what you're doing up on Capitol Hill. But for anyone that's not following you, where can we find you on social media? We'll live link it in the show description today. You can find you can find me on social media on my official account at RepSantosNY3, or you can find me on social media at Santos for Congress on my political uh, uh, Twitter and same same handle goes for Instagram and Facebook, and we're active, we're out there, we're sharing, we're engaging with the community. And just one thing I'll share with you: look, to, stay tuned to when we're back in session because I'm giving, I'm putting Pete Buttigieg on notice. If in the next week he doesn't step up and do his job, I'm going to do my job. Well, we like to hear that. And uh, in the meantime, watch out for the Mitt Romneys of the world. You never know when they can come out of left field. And uh, Oh, yes. I'm, I'm very fearful of the, the, the country club elite from Utah or Massachusetts or whatever he, wherever he thinks he's from these days. 
uh, coming after me. It's not the first time I've been told to shut up. It's not the last time I'm going to be told to shut up. It's been in the back of the room. And guess what? I never do it. Absolutely. So. <laughs> you absolutely don't. Instead, you share memes. And that's the thing. It shows like how people like Senator Mitt Romney are just disconnected with not only his own base, but the American people. Uh, Congressman, this has been awesome. We're looking forward to uh, circling back with you soon. And uh, thanks for taking your time out of the busy schedule to jump with us on the show today. Thank you very much. Thank you for, for having me. Back here in Washington, there is breaking news tonight on that Chinese spy balloon. CBS News has just learned that U.S. intelligence watched the high-flying airship as it lifted off near China's south coast. That means the U.S. military had been tracking it for nearly a week before it entered U.S. airspace, longer than originally known. CBS's Nancy Cordes is at the White House. So, Nancy, they were watching this from the beginning? They were, Nora, and what they saw was this balloon heading east from China towards Guam and Hawaii. But then it took a sharp northward turn, a beeline towards Alaska. They also revealed today that the three subsequent objects they shot down probably were not involved in spying. The three objects shot down this weekend may have been harmless research balloons. That's now a leading theory for the intelligence community. There's strong consideration that these uh, objects are indeed benign. They won't know for sure until they find the debris. They're in very difficult terrain. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff described the challenge. One object came down in the Arctic Circle, where it's minus 40 degrees. The second came down in a hard-to-reach part of the Canadian Rockies. And the third plunged into Lake Huron, a couple hundred feet deep. We'll get them eventually, but it's going to take some time to recover those. Well, what can you say, except it's been a little bit of a rough patch for the Biden regime. A little bit? And uh, their response, or lack thereof, initially, which led to some bad poll numbers, um, how the American public viewed their response to the original, actual Chinese spy satellite balloon, (laughs) led to us wasting about a million dollars in Sidewinder missiles. I, I wish I had the name of whatever the balloon balloon troop that. Oh, we're going to get to that in a bit. <laughs> Joe Biden did have a really long day yesterday. It started with him boarding Marine One and heading over to Walter Reed, where he underwent his physical, which is now nearly three months late than is usual standard practice. Mm. A very vague disposition on his condition, which is like he's a very vigorous 80 year old man uh, that sometimes has numb feet and a little bit of back problems was basically all they gave us. There was no cognitive test done, and he did not receive an MRI. So anything regarding what we really want to know about Joe Biden and his mental health, his overall physical health, is not going to be shared with the public, as probably is is pretty standard practice, <laughs> at least the way this regime goes with their uh, you know secretive ways. Everything's fine. Sign here. That's it. Corn Pop's a bad dude as well. Mm. I don't know if you knew that. No. Joe Biden came back to the uh, White House yesterday and then took a drive over to the fake White House to do a press conference. Uh, It was in response to the now war that the regime is waging on Hobby Lobby enthusiasts. (laughs) And uh, it started out with a very short prepared statement and then kind of went sideways. We're going to listen to both clips right now. Uh, Let's hear the president as he talks about Chinese spy balloons and such. Last week, in the immediate aftermath of the incursion by China's high-altitude balloon, our military, through the North American Aerospace Defense Command, so-called NORAD, 
closely scrutinized uh, the uh, our airspace, including enhancing our radar to pick up more slow-moving objects above our country, around the world. In doing so, they uh, tracked three unidentified objects, one in Alaska, Canada, and over Lake Huron in the Midwest. They acted in accordance with established parameters for determining how to deal with unidentified aerial objects <laughs> in U.S. airspace. At their recommendation, I gave the order to take down these three objects due to hazards to civilian commercial air traffic and because we could not rule out the surveillance risk of sensitive facilities. We acted in consultation with the Canadian government. I spoke personally with Prime Minister Trudeau and Kant from Canada on Saturday. And just as critically, we acted out of an abundance of caution and an opportunity that allowed us to take down these, these objects safely. Our military and the Canadian military are seeking to recover the debris so we can learn more about these three objects. Our intelligence community is still assessing all three incidences. They're reporting to me daily and will continue their urgent efforts to do so, and I will communicate that to the Congress. We don't yet know exactly what these three objects were, but nothing, nothing right now suggests they were related to China's spy balloon program or that they were surveillance vehicles from other, any other country. Wait, the intelligence community's current assessment is that these three objects were most likely balloons tied to private companies, recreation or research institutions studying weather or conducting other scientific research. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. do they have to pay for the balloons? Like, we, it, Billy's bottle cap crew fucking air, air ballooning across the country and one of our balloons has disappeared? Listen, Jack, here's the deal. <laughs> now, I already told you that it, we shot, he told you that it, they were shot down, right? Military response, mm -hmm. NORAD, and all those other words what? they couldn't produce, so he just blah, 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 blah. we use missiles. Two of them. Do, did these did these aircraft not have like machine guns? Like it's a balloon, you can pop a hole in it, and then it'll slowly descend as the air leaks out. Right? Why isn't anybody talking about the fact that we sent our top guns to take down whatever these Chinese spy satellite LARPer club things were, <laughs> and we actually missed the first time and had to shoot it with a second missile? Just like everything else, I got no tone. The news cycle's going so fast, <laughs> and and it's gone. We, out of abundance of caution, all these fucking keywords, and then the sensitive sites that it could be going across from the air. Like, well, you already let one go all the way across the country. Where did the missile that the that missed the the satellite LARPer club <laughs> object land? Ohio, probably. <laughs> Now you're starting to connect the dots. Jesus. That's how the show becomes one living organism. Noah, thank you. <laughs> it was definitely you, not me. I did say that the press conference started in a prepared statement and ended not so much. <laughs> Let's hear Joe Biden get off Joe Biden-y when the press starts yelling at him at the same time. So I make no apologies for taking down that balloon. Thank oh. you very much. <laughs> Sir, the question was anyone Sir, there's been criticism. There's been criticism that this was. There's been criticism that this. 
compromised by your family's business relationship. Sir, Mr. President, Mr. President, there has Give been criticism. Mr. President, there has been criticism that this was an overreaction that was done because of political pressure. You come my office and ask the question when you have more polite people. Mr. President, why have you chosen Poland for your trip to mark anniversary of the war? And what's your message? What? He just laughed and walked away. All right, well, the president there. And, and you know what the funny part is? Uh, something else that not a lot of people are talking about. We're going to talk about it on this show. And, and it's, you know, the right to report fair and accurately, the right to provide the truth, especially when the administration doesn't want to be that way with it. I don't know if you heard this, Noah, but yesterday before that presser at the fake White House, you know, the one where they gave him like the COVID boosters mm-hmm. and stuff. So the Secret Service was waiting at the door to go into where the press pool was going to be. And they selectively stopped people. There was that one journalist uh, from Africa who Corinne Jean-Pierre never calls on. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody from the New York Post. Mm-hmm. Somebody from the Daily Caller. I believe there was five and six, five or six in total that were not allowed into the room. Uh, and they, they weren't given a specific reason why. They just had to wait in the doorway or the hallway. And I think that's disgusting. Um, because they know when press conferences end like that, they don't want to be the loudest voice yelling the questions that Joe, Joe Biden doesn't want to answer. So the press pool, you get a press pass. Mm-hmm. And then based on whether or not they like you, they can make you stand in the corner. So our good friend Alan has talked to at least two of the reporters that were forced to wait in the hall. This has never happened before, according to them. And this is not their first rodeo. Yeah, that Like sounds, never happened before ever as far as they know. That sounds like a blatant suppression of their First Amendment rights yeah. because yeah. they're I mean, they're credentialed to be in there. That's the way that this regime operates, and it's uh, very few people are talking about that. It's going to be interesting to see now that we're a full 24 hours past that incident if any of these reporters make it to the legacy media circuit to talk about that, obviously, suppression of uh, their First Amendment rights and our right to hear the story or at least Joe Biden not answer the questions. I know you teased Hobby Lobby LARPer groups uh, (laughs) several times. You just can't... I know it's the funniest part, but we got to kind of paint the narrative here. <laughs> Jesse Waters and his groundbreaking investigative coverage the of this. Names. He's got the names, and they're coming in hot right now. Let's hear them. Biden's on a weather balloon killing spree. These three objects were most likely balloons tied to private companies, recreation, or research institutions studying weather or conducting other scientific research. Actually, prime time is a pretty good idea, what Joe shot down. A hobby club in Illinois called the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade. Yep, the Balloon Brigade says they're missing their balloon. The last time the Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade saw their balloon, it was floating over Canada on February 11th, the same day Biden shot down a balloon over Canada. Now, the Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade's balloon cost $12. So Joe shot a $12 balloon with a half a million dollar missile. President Biden sent F-22s to take down the bottle cap balloon brigade's $12 balloon. And missed. All because Biden got some bad polling after taking a week to pop the Chinese spy balloon. So Biden finally broke his silence and sent a clear message to the bottleneck balloon brigade. The United States will not rest until every father-son balloon hobbyist has their $12 helium balloon violently removed from northern American airspace. We don't yet know exactly what these three objects were. As the events of the previous days have shown, we'll always act to protect the interest of the American people and the security of the American people. Just, just not the bottle cap balloon brigade. 
There you go. <laughs> Cheers to them. Hey, I, listen. I was close. I said Billy's bottle cap balloon brigade or something. A couple fact checks for Jesse because, you know, he, he doesn't get a free pass even though he's got a primetime spot on Fox News. We scrambled F-18s, not F-22s. Yeah. And, and the actual balloon brigade balloons <laughs> cost roughly $125 to get in the air. But apparently can outmaneuver sidewinder missile technology. That's a good balloon. You get a lot of bang for your buck. We're not, we weren't the only ones laughing about this, though. And as we're getting ready now, we're going we're gonna to talk about this, not the balloon brigade, but our nation's really lackluster response to this obvious saber rattling by the Chinese CCP with John Solomon in just a second right now. As we're getting ready to wrap this segment, of course, Vice President, perfect speaker, mm. Kamal Harris, weighed in on the balloon brigade incident, and you could only... She's always so excited when she's talking. Speaks very elegantly. Ugh. Probably adds a cackle. Let's hear. We will maintain the perspective that we have in terms of what should be the relationship between China and the United States. Uh, that is not going to change, but surely and certainly that balloon was not helpful, which is why we shot it down. You know how you've gotten that chewy, hard, disappointing jerky from the gas station? you got to try some of this jerky we just got from Farmer Bill's. It's soft and tender because it's cured and air-dried instead of dehydrated, like that other junk. Ingredient conscious, there's no sugar, no soy, or other additives, just beef, salt, and spices. Working on those gains, it's protein on the go with a very respectable 32 grams of protein per 2 ounces. That's twice the amount of that other jerky. So if you like to support small business and you like your food source in the USA, order some Farmer Bill's with the code STEAK for an extra 5 bucks off. Buy a 12-pack, you can get free shipping. The only thing better than this tender jerky is supporting an American-made company that shares your values. Get yourself some Farmer Bill's traditionally air-dried beef jerky today. All right, joining us next on the show today, he is an investigative journalist who is also the founder of Just the News. Joining us for the first time, making a steak for breakfast debut, Mr. John Solomon. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. We've been looking forward to this to quite some time, sir. How's everything going with you? Good. Doing well. Busy, busy news days as, as ever in, in Washington. There's so many things going on and so few answers to so many questions. Yeah, I mean, this news cycle has been pretty much spinning out of control. I would say since Donald Trump came down the golden escalator, and uh, we thought we might be getting to catch our breath a little bit with Joe Biden when he took office in 2021, but yeah. here's all of us second-guessing that decision. Um, <laughs> I think you're right. Well, Joe Biden had kind of a press conference yesterday. It was a prepared statement. Yeah. It was very short, and then he didn't really field questions except making a you know nasty comment at the press pool when they were talking about his relationship with china but in regards to that and, and all encompassing things our overall response to what happened with the chinese spy satellite balloon was very lackluster to save release i think our military readiness based off of a lot of different factors whether it's the implementation of uh you know the woke agenda in the military the depletion of our supplies which are going over to fight foreign wars and, and proxy ones with russia and, and things like that as someone that does a lot of coverage on this and talks to some of the experts you know both both in the military industrial complex and, and just people who commentate on the government in general, what are some of the things that you're seeing that maybe we're not catching in the news regarding this whole situation? 
Well, you know, listen, I think uh, there, the fact that we know so little about the three other balloons that we shot down, we don't know what we shot down, that's not a good sign, right? It's not a good sign that our detection systems can't distinguish between a Chinese spy balloon and what may have been a Home Depot a hobby project for some kids, right? And yeah. that's one of the concerns that Ted Cruz raised yesterday, Senator Ted Cruz. Um, we learned something very important, which is that NORAD had a significant a uh, blinder uh, for slow-moving objects uh, like these sort of balloons. And why is that so alarming? Because there is open source intelligence that tells us that China has tested using these uh, slow-moving uh, spy balloons to launch weapons like hypersonic missiles and other uh, payloads. So the idea that NORAD wasn't scanning for a type of weaponry that the open source intelligence said our, at least some of our adversaries were thinking of using, mainly um, uh, China, uh, is a really bad uh, sign for our readiness. And it makes you wonder, are we back to the pre-9-11 era where uh, bureaucracies stumble over each other and dots aren't connected? So uh, NORAD and the commander coming out saying, hey, there was a, a, a a gap in our surveillance and we weren't picking these things up. And as I understand it from my sources, uh, we just basically turned off our radar capabilities to these things slow, uh, slow moving and small because we're always on the lookout for missiles and, and uh, jets. But if you're our enemy, you're not looking for the obvious thing. You're looking for the holes in our defenses. Yeah. And it looks like NORAD had a significant hole in defense. That's, I think, the most important thing. Why Joe Biden waits the entire trip before he shoots this thing down over uh, the ocean doesn't make sense for a lot of reasons. One is he shoots the other three down without worrying about whether it falls on people. <laughs> Two, the last place you want to shoot over a like an electronic sensitive espionage uh, uh, instrument that you might want to exploit later is over salt water because salt water will ruin the electronics worse than anything. Mm -hmm. So uh, the claim that we well we want to preserve it for intelligence, we, we didn't want it to fall on people. They didn't have the same concern at Lake Huron, Alaska, or Montana. And this one, by shooting it over the ocean, they put it in the salt water, probably going to destroy some of the intelligence exploitation that we could do on it. Yeah, those are those are a lot of great points, and and you know when you just look at what's going on with the the way that the administration's either kind of trying to spin it or not be honest and truthful about everything. I mean, part of that probably goes into national security and some of the things that at the highest levels they may or may not be able to talk about or disseminate to the public. But at the same time, it just seems like optically, you know, uh, the the way that this regime has operated since its inception back in 2021 was not only are we always in control, but it's Joe Biden at the head of the pack that that's leading us diligently through all of these crises, uh, even though a lot of them are, are self-made. And, and this just seems to be another one, like you said, with the uh, laps and things that we're looking for and the way the CCP was able to exploit it with this uh, spy satellite balloon. So one of, the, one of the things I wanted to touch with you on that kind of ties into this, definitely national defense overall, and uh, the sovereignty of our southern border, which definitely a lot of people in our audience might not even know about. There's been some recent developments. Listen, balloons from Hobby Lobby aren't the only thing Joe Biden's taken out of the skies. John, you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Uh, listen, there's a lot of um, concern that in the same time frame that the uh, uh, Biden administration was equivocating on whether the shoot down a Chinese spy object that had clearly improperly uh, penetrated our sovereign airspace, they went and told our Border Patrol they could no longer use the Aeroflot uh, surveillance balloons that allow Border Patrol agents uh, to see danger, to track um, 
gotaways uh, and to have a, a good sense of who those gotaways may be. And this is really uh, is significant because a lot of our Border Patrol agents are thinned out right now. They're in large areas. The only visibility they might have to encountering danger a little bit ahead are these balloons that kind of give them some sense that, hey, there's danger ahead. There might be a drug gang up ahead, so be careful, be on alert. The second thing these balloons are used for is to find people who slip through the uh, cracks of our, our border, meaning they're not the ones that are coming in declaring themselves illegal aliens and getting into the country by Joe Biden. They're trying to even avoid that. Those people tend to want to do more nefarious things. They're probably drug runners. They're human traffickers. They may be people with terrorist ties, which we've seen an explosion in growth of. Yeah. Uh, they may be espionage threats. The, the, these uh, surveillance balloons were one of the key ways that CPB identified who those people were, flagged them in case we need to go get someone who was in an, an immediate security risk. And then third, it's the primary way that the uh, CPB very accurately is able to project each month how many gotaways uh, uh, came into the country, people we didn't encounter, but that still illegally entered the border. Now, uh, Border Patrol agents are gonna be less safe because these surveillance balloons are not up regularly. Two, we won't uh, be able to identify the really bad guys that might be trying to come across in these gaps in our, our security system, the gotaways. And third, Joe Biden's going to achieve something he's been trying to do, which is to artificially drive down the official illegal immigration numbers each month. He's been doing this through two tactics. One is the new parole program. Well, let's not let's pretend that no one comes through the country anymore on the open border. We'll just take them through the official ports of entry, parole them in, and they'll, they'll no longer be counted as illegal immigrants, even though they are. That's one little way he's begun to manipulate the statistics. The second, and that's going to lower, artificially lower, um, illegal migration numbers by about 360,000 a year. So that's a big reduction for him from a political standpoint. The second way he's going to lower it, if you can't see the gotaways, yep. CPB can't report the gotaways. And so that gotaways number is going to come down a lot because of this manipulation uh, uh, that the of the statistics that will occur by downing these um, aerofloat um, uh, surveillance balloons. So uh, while Joe Biden doesn't want to shoot down Chinese air balloons that might be spying and harming our national security. He's taking those away from something that might actually improve our national security, protect our border patrol agents, give us a more honest accounting of illegal immigration. A lot of people concerned by what this president is doing. Yeah, that's something that uh, former Rice Director Tom Holman has brought up on our show several occasions that he's been on with yeah. us. And, you know, it's one of the things that the news cycle is so wild right now with everything going on from the, you know, the the tragedy in Ohio to what's going on on the southern border and right. Joe Biden's health. And, and it, it leaves us for such little wiggle room to get important stories in here like this one, which could lead to, like like you said, people who don't want to get detected getting into this country with probably more nefarious intentions. And uh, we just saw a couple of weeks ago there was a, a high-speed chase in Texas, DPS pulled That's over right. a car, and, and inside the trunk of the car, there was three Colombians and an Iranian national who was on the terror watch list. So these people are finding ways in uh, outside the normal realms of possibility, even when Joe Biden's making it easier to claim uh, asylum in, here in the United States and uh, having stuff like the aerial support that the Border Patrol agents need to maybe stay ahead of the game just as a safety measure, not even to, t uh, to keep track of the bodies. But like you said, the use of force uh, out in the field over the last two years has been drastically increased as well. And uh, we've seen shootings, we've seen attacks and, and things like that. And uh, this definitely hinders uh, the Border Patrol agents a lot more than it does help anybody except, like you said, probably Joe Biden's numbers. Now, John, I, I want to kind of segue here because one of the things that, that has not gotten out of the news cycle and we're just up on the one-year anniversary of is the uh, conflict in Ukraine. 
Uh, we, we, we have seen two, wow. two very huge sides to this story. One where everybody in the United States who supports it, like unwaveringly supports it. They wear ties and pins to the State of the Union. You know, they invite Vladimir Zelensky to address the entire Congress up on Capitol Hill. Uh, they give a lot of, you know, over $100 billion in support and all the military equipment that's going to take, you know, billions of dollars to produce and replace and uh, even longer to uh, train and have those people over in Ukraine become proficient in the field in. And then you have the other side of the aisle might not necessarily be Republican or Democrat who doesn't want to always give the blank check, doesn't want to just hand over a lot of our technology that could either be lost or destroyed, uh, you know, because the people who are operating in armed provision or even fall into the wrong hands for, you know, the purposes of like re reverse engineering the technology right. like we're seeing right like now. Like what happened in Afghanistan, right? Yeah, the, the Taliban selling Russia uh, some of our military equipment that we left there and, and in turn they're going to be, you know, uh, ahead in the game when the M1 Abrams tanks and the Patriot missile batteries and stuff like that get into the field over in Ukraine. So the one thing that's missing from this entire equation is a negotiation table. And I can't understand how, you know, when two thirds of our federal government is ran by the Democrats, and even though they say they're the never war party, they're the always war party because of the money aspect and, and stuff like that that goes into it. And it's hard to, you know, take a president out during war times and things of that nature. How do we get these people to the negotiation table? You had uh, Zelensky out in Brussels last week and then addressing the entire EU parliament today that says the only thing that matters here is Ukraine winning and there's no other option. And the only other options for Ukraine is full EU uh, in the EU and full uh, admittance to NATO, which which is just seems like that takes them so far away from the, the negotiation table. It's not even an option. Yeah, listen, I don't think uh, there's going to be uh, a credible option for negotiation with the current players on uh, the front lines here. Joe Biden is muddled in his message to Russia and um, uh, Ukraine. He's always been leading from behind. The, and uh, early on, it was the Brits and the French that shamed this president into giving more resources in. And uh, one of the things you have to have for a negotiation is a clear statement of what each side believes is to be a point of victory. What's the objective? And thus far, the President of the United States, who could have done it in the State of the Union, has yet to define for the American people what is the American interest in this war? What is the definition of success? What are we trying to achieve? What are the risks? Which every other president who's ever used military force, either directly or through proxy, right now we're doing it through proxy, yep. has always done. We're gotten involved this war because our goal is to do X. We're going to define victory as why he hasn't done that and so from the american uh, standpoint there isn't even a declaration of understanding what our intent is so that there could be a meaningful negotiation with a vladimir putin or a zelensky now vladimir putin has been a significantly bad actor for a long time yeah he was a bad actor when he invaded georgia under george bush he was a bad actor when he was enriching uh, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, and all the Democrats with all that money in the early 2000s during the famous reset, which, by the way, was nothing more than a moment of weakness for the United States. Obama and Clinton and Biden gave away the farm to Russia, and then they turned around and invaded Ukraine, where he was a bad actor again in 2014 and again in 2022. The United States doesn't really believe that it can get an honest negotiated uh, settlement with Vladimir Putin because it hasn't had a constructive relationship, at least during the years when uh, a Democrat has been in control, which is 10 of the last 14 years. So uh, I don't think Vladimir Putin feels like he needs to negotiate. 
The real question will be what happens in this next offensive? There's an offensive building up on both sides as soon as spring hits. It might even start before spring. Uh, and if Russia makes gains, Vladimir Putin is going to be more emboldened to keep going. If, if Vladimir Putin fails again, it'll be the third initiative uh, he fails at. He may be more humbled because the domestic politics at home may force him to try to find a face-saving negotiation. And so I think right now that's the sort of the dynamic, the checkerboard, but it begins, the inability to get to the peace table is a failure of the United States as a proxy member of this war to define its objectives. And that's something that he owes the American people, something he owes our allies. And if he wants to be constructive with Russia, it's something that would be helpful to have Russia understand our intent. That's not been put on the table, makes negotiating very hard. Yeah, it does. I mean, I, even at the bare minimum, if he would just say the, the Biden administration's standpoint on the conflict in Ukraine is a blank check to them to stop Russia from doing what Russia is doing, which the Biden administration, uh, you know, claims is moving eastward and will never stop if we don't stop right. here. But I think one of the most dangerous components here is, is what we're doing by pushing some of our uh, historical geopolitical adversaries, not even on the battlefield, but let's just say when it comes to like international trade or, or just things like that, China, Russia. Turkey, Iran, India, and the Taliban like are, are kind of forming a pseudo coalition of not adhering to sanctions that the U.S. put on Russia, providing military equipment, logistical support, and, and funding for the war. When at the same time, you have people like China who are, who are courting Ukraine and saying, listen, we're going to support Russia right here, and we're going to give them things that are going to blow stuff up in your country, but we will help you rebuild it once this conflict is over. So th this seems like we're putting ourselves up against not just Russia on the battlefield in Ukraine, but it, you're talking about like maybe close to half the world's population when you just put those countries together and what could happen in uh, some kind of global conflict here. Uh, I think you so eloquently put that this is a table setting moment for global relations. And I don't think the president or his administration are acting like it is. But the rest of the world understands what's going on here. This has the potential to realign uh, uh, alliances in, in the West, the Middle East, uh, and in the East. And I think that the president's lack of clarity has left some of our uh, adversaries and some of our allies uncertain, so they're making up their own mind out of uh, fear of the silence of what they get from this administration. And no better place to see this than in Saudi Arabia. <clears throat> Saudi Arabia has been there through two Gulf Wars with us. Uh, they've been there when we've needed oil in the past before we were energy independent under Donald Trump. And this president has thumbed his nose and, uh, and stuck his thumb in the eye of the Saudis. And the Saudis are now talking to China about doing some major energy deals. And they're talking about doing something that would never have been envisioned in any other prior presidency, accepting Chinese currency yep. as a official form of currency. The first erosion of the American dollar is the official currency of the world. That is what Joe Biden's allowing to have happen. That's the sort of realignments going on every day. And it's going on in every country. It's going on in Moldova. It's going on in Poland. Uh, everyone's wondering, hey, what is up? And so we always had a situation where our allies and our adversaries wanted to check what the American position was. Because we don't have a clear position, they're now beginning to consort among themselves. And Joe Biden could leave the world much less safe in America in a much lower standing by his failed foreign policy handling here. And I think you're looking at it right. This is a moment of potential significant realignment that doesn't go in the Americans' interest. No, and it, it's like when you when you talk about how this administration has been uh, since the start, they doubled down on their decisions and, and they – 
you know, defend them till the bitter end. I, I can think of dozens of reasons why Millie, Austin, Buttigieg, uh, Blinken, and Alejandro Mayorkas could all, Janet Yellen included as well, could all have been removed from their positions for the state of the nation right now. But according to the Biden administration, his plan is working in Ukraine. The economic plan is working domestically. Everything's great in the country. And, uh, we don't have an alternative for the next two years, which is the last thing I want to touch with you on. So the, the 2024 presidential election field is now set at two, uh, with a lot other people probably going to be jumping in here in the yeah. next few weeks or months. But we saw Nikki Haley make it official after a phone conversation with Donald Trump that happened last weekend. She kicked it off in South Carolina. Uh, what do you what do you think is her objective here? And, and, and what are you thinking a little bit more down the road of what the field is going to look like? I think the field's going to widen, right? And the more it widens, the more it plays to Donald Trump's advantage to winning the primary because a a crowded field uh, separates all the opposition votes from Donald Trump, and then Donald Trump's base holds very tightly to him, as we've seen all throughout the Trump years and the post-Trump years. So uh, that's part of the reason why I think when... um, uh, Donald Trump said, I welcome all the competition. I'd welcome all comers. The more the merrier. It actually fits his strategy very well for trying to get a third uh, nomination. Um, Nikki Haley's goal is to separate herself and be uh, a person who can talk to women in the conservative movement and who can talk to younger people because she's at the younger end of the spectrum of people who run for president. 51 is pretty young. So uh, she's going to try to do a youth play and she's going to try to do a woman play to voting sectors where uh, the Republican Party struggled in the last couple of elections. Right. Uh, married men, married women, uh, older people all vote Republican, young people and unmarried women uh, voted against in very large numbers, almost 70% against Republicans. So I think she views herself as a constituency builder. She's painfully aware of the polls that she's at one or 2% and unlikely to get much higher than that, uh, unless, you know, some lightning strikes, which sometimes <laughs> it does. Yeah. But I think her goal is to, to show the party there's a way to reach these people. And if she does a good job, she gets on the short list for vice president or some other, uh, uh, cabinet role. And so I think that's the, her strategy going in. Uh, she's very good at speaking. I mean, if you saw her, uh, her first speech, it, you know, it had that sort of, uh, folksy appeal that I think made her so popular as South Carolina governor. So she has something to bring to the table. And I think Donald Trump respects that. Yeah, I definitely do, too. I talked to, you know, we have a lot of Trump surrogates and former administration officials on our show on a regular basis. And I was kind of texting with them over the course of the last week or so and saying, hey, what's the there there? And they're like, you want to know what? It's like Donald Trump, uh, friendship and loyalty go so much further with him than anything else. A lot of people accuse him of being uh, so, so different when it comes to it. Like he just wants money and fame and attention. But when it comes to loyalty and and friendship, Donald Trump will always stick by his friends and, and people who remain loyal to him more than anything else. And I think when she told the press, that she had a phone conversation with him and she kind of laid it out there for him and he said he wished her well. I mean, it doesn't mean she's not going to get a nickname. She's definitely going to get one on the campaign trail. But That's for sure. You know, the fact <laughs> of the matter is is that, you know, Donald Trump respects people when, uh, you know, they could be upfront and honest with him and tell him the truth. And I think it... I agree with you that this field is going to get a lot more robust here in the next few months. We'll probably see Mike Pence, Mike Pompeo, maybe even Ron DeSantis. In addition to a couple other people, John Bolton's all but announced that he's going to run as well. And I think that makes, uh, you know the best sword sharpening for the eventual nominee uh, heading into 2024. What do you think? 
Yeah, I agree. Listen, I saw, I remember after the November election, I was like, oh my God, we're going to have a very divisive uh, uh, primary. And I said to people, listen, that's what our founding fathers wanted. They yeah. want a robust discussion. We always come out of a country better when we have a good, strong debate and we don't sweep our things up. When you do what you do with Joe Biden, you sweep everything under the rug, yeah. you uh, hide them in the basement, you don't have a real debate in the Democratic primary, and then people wake up two years in the presidency, wait a second, that's what Joe Biden is? I had no idea. Yeah. The country benefits when there's a robust primary debate, and I think the Republicans are going to have one, and whoever comes out the winner is going to be battle-tested and steel-ready for uh, for a very important race where the future of the country is truly at stake in 2024. We keep saying it every election, but we really do mean it this time. I mean, you just watch the stuff that's happened over the last two it's years. True. and I mean, but with the uh, global economy and the way it's trending, the uh, energy sector worldwide and the way it's trending, and then war everywhere and the way that's trending we just we can't take the risks anymore we can't not say that mean tweets or or whoever becomes the uh eventual republican nominee is is not good enough because of this that or the other thing we have to look at the interests of the american people and what we could do to get this country back on the right track john this has been awesome sitting down with you we would Great love honor. to have you back at some point in the future anytime and i'd love to come on we're going to live link just the news and and your social medias in the show description today we want to direct as many people to follow you that already aren't you want to tell us what your social media handles are Absolutely. On all platforms, I'm just J Solomon Reports, J-S-O-L-O-M-O-N Reports. Easy enough. This is the award-winning investigative journalist and the founder of Just the News, Mr. John Solomon. Thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Great honor to be with you. Thank you. Take care. We have the backs of our friends and we hold our enemies to account. And, you know, whether it's Ukraine or Israel, we take care of them because it's about freedom. And we can never stop fighting for freedom. There is that popular strain and a lot of MAGA that wants the Ukraine gravy train financially and otherwise to stop. And even there's a growing Republican consent, not consensus, but growing Republican support to say, wait a minute, checks and balances here. What are we doing giving all this money to Ukraine? Where do you come down on the money, on the the military, uh, whether it be fighter jets, X, Y, and Z? Biden was slow to the take. He should have given Ukraine what they needed right when this started, and we'd be in a totally different place right now. This isn't a war about Ukraine. This is a war about freedom. And I don't think we need to put troops on the ground. I don't think we need to write them blank checks. But they have the passion to fight for their own freedom. Give them the ammunition to do it. Get with our NATO allies and say, hey, we're not the only ones. You've got to do it too. And let them win this fight. But I'll tell you what. If they win this fight, you won't hear anything from Russia, China, or Iran. If they lose this fight, Russia's not going to stop at Ukraine. They're going to go into Poland and the Baltics, and we've got a world war on our hands. We have to make sure we send a message to every enemy that if you mess with our friends, you're messing with us, and you don't want to do that. And and that, therefore, is America first, in essence. It is taking care of America because we're preventing wars. Oh, my God. Jeez. The only way to prevent World War Three is to initiate World War Three. And uh, if Nikki Haley... You who can't let somebody else start World War Three, Exactly. Who rolled out her presidential campaign on Wednesday to a packed house of dozens? Mm. Uh, yeah, couldn't wait more than 24 hours to start talking about how if we would have just gave Ukraine $100 billion, M1 Abrams tanks, Patriot missile batteries and all the equipment and logistics we've given them since the beginning, on this day, a year ago, the war would already be over, or we'd be in World War III. Either or works out for her because she is the neocon warmongering first in to uh, challenge Donald Trump in the 2024 presidential election. 
on the Republican side. So, no, I know you're you, you're a huge fan of both Forever Wars and Nikki Haley. No, you're not. Forever Wars? Yeah. Mm. No. Just another person who used their completely rundown end of the road career uh, off the coattails of Donald Trump to re-energize themselves as a human being and do good things for the American people at his direction now after saying, I don't know, a couple months ago that if he was in the race, she'd never run. Called and asked for his blessing, and here she is. Mm. I think she's going to be uh, less than 2% nationally. You think? She probably lasts about four or five primaries. Two maybe two maybe two a debate. Yeah, I could see it. Yeah. A de- you think she may do a debate? Yeah, the debate will be the the nail in the coffin, and and a lot of people are saying that this is solely an attempt to uh, land a VP spot. I can tell you one thing: it's not landing. It's a VP spot for with Donald Trump because they are opposite ends of the polar spectrum when it comes to policies, especially things having to do with war. So I, I just thought it was very interesting. We wanted to touch on this briefly because uh, you know she's had a tough time. Uh, there's been a lot of people in the media. Don Lamont beat her up a little bit with all of his ratings, which are probably somewhere a little bit below ours uh, for the uh, morning circuit there over on fake news CNN. And uh, he was like crapping on her. She made a comment. One of the big things of her platform is people who are not in politics or are at a certain age, I think it was 75 and up, number one, need a cognitive test. Number two, we should like begin to erase their past. So she's trying to like, you know, get in there and and then Don Lamont did a skit where, or not a skit, well, it's technically a skit, a segment on his show where he was talking about, you know, her using age as something to separate herself from the field, which only includes Donald Trump right now. And he's going to be 75 when, when, you know, he's up for election in 2024 saying that like, she's too old, but he's a year older than her. So he had to go and like, not only for making sexist remarks because she's a female, but ageism remarks had to go apologize to everybody <laughs> yeah that's how things are going for him right what now a douche nozzle but but you know i think one of the biggest things with nikki is besides all of her awful policies she bent the knee to george floyd she bent the knee to black lives matter uh you know she just doesn't identify she, like i took a lot of pictures off twitter and what i do is i screen maximize them like all of these there are so many old people like the the people she's talking to at her couple events since she kicked off her campaign it's a country club but she's talking shit about like that age demographic so either they're completely politically uneducated or just part of the group that just throws money at whatever neocon gets in there you know the lindsey graham mitch mcconnell type or they just don't understand what's going on because you know she's literally talking crap about their age demographic and and those are the people that for the most part you know i talked to some people on twitter last night uh Somebody who has an account, he and his dad went to one of her events, and they said they were, like, the two youngest people in the room. And I was like, well, how old's your dad? And he's like, my dad's 63. And I was like, ugh. And that's just kind of what it looks like. But the big thing here is is what happened to change? Is she solely just trying to land a VP spot? Is she being encouraged by some of the other people in the billionaire donor classes? You know, the the or the Lincoln Project, the Club for Growth, or, you know, the Ken Griffins, Paul Singers, people like that. Are they the people that are trying to get Ron DeSantis? Do they think that... I don't think she's taken away from the MAGA base uh, with some of this platform. It's going to be 
as time will tell to see what her big plan is here and what angle. But if you just look at some of the things that she's rolling out there, it's like she she's going off of completely some of the opposite things that Donald Trump ran on and is running on again and then saying semicolon America first at the end and everybody in the legacy media is like, oh, okay, America first sounds great. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So she jumped on with Fox and Friends this morning, and uh, they were kind of hitting her on, on her relationship with Donald Trump and where her you know decision to run came from. I, I thought it was a good clip as we're getting ready to uh, segue here. Let's hear it. I know you were on last night with Sean, and he was asking you how you differentiate yourself from Donald Trump. And you said originally that you had called him to ask his, per- not permission, but just to tell him you're going to run. And That's he up. did give you his blessing. I know he's your friend. He appointed you to a uh, U.N. ambassador. Shep, how do you balance that? How do you handle it? And what are you going to say when the left says, because they are saying this already when you flip around to other channels or even, you know, when we interview Democrats on this channel, they say you flip flop one minute, you're friends with Donald Trump, the next minute you're not. How do you answer that? Well, first of all, President Trump is my friend. I was honored to work with him in the administration. I thought he was the right president at the right time. And that remains to be um, the truth. We had a great conversation. I told him that I was doing this because I thought it was time for a new generation. I thought we needed to leave the status quo and we needed to move forward. You know, the liberals, they love to give me a hard time. I was doing interviews yesterday. And what they don't understand is I don't have to be 100% Trump or 100% anti-Trump. That's not how I am. President Trump will tell you, I say what I think. When you're doing something right, I support you. When you're doing something wrong, I'm going to call you out for it. But at the end of the day, that's how I square it. But I'm not kicking sideways in this race. I'm kicking forward. It is Joe Biden who's the president. It's Joe Biden who's put us in this situation. And and that's one of the things that so many people who have been trying to get receipts on what changed uh, to get allow you to jump in this race uh, when, number one, you said you wouldn't, and number two, if all you want to do is talk about Joe Biden, that's not going to fare very well for you in the Republican primary where there could be as many as like a dozen potential candidates when you start talking about like the Pompeos, the Mike Pences, uh, some of the governors like Asa Hutchinson and uh, Chris Sununu getting in. So it, it's like, what is her deal? What 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 is her play here? You know, she wants to run on kind of a platform of like not really peace through strength, but more like peace through instigating wars until we're in one. Mm. And then we already know uh, how she's catered to a lot of like the radical left in regards to the social issues that are facing this country right now. And, you know, she, she wants to talk about Joe Biden instead of people in the Republican primary. That's not the, the goal of winning the Republican primary. So your guess is as good as mine, Noah. And uh, as you become our 2024 presidential Republican primary expert moving forward oh, from, perfect. from here on out, in addition to all the other things you are uh, an expert on on Steak for Breakfast, we're just going to continue to track that. I, I, I do as, you know make the assumption that there's going to be more people jumping into this race fairly soon here. I still think Ron DeSantis, if he decides to run, he's all but going to run, is going to get in there at some point uh, later in the game, probably towards the summer. Well, he got some pretty good endorsements recently. Mm. Oh, we're <laughs> Funny you mention that because we're going to segue right now and and talk about that. Uh, So the World Economic Forum held their, like, One World Government Summit this weekend, which is just, like, another leg of the the Davos circuit. I I literally think it's it's the World Government Summit. Oh. And uh, we heard some pretty interesting things out of there from from all angles. Obviously, we heard from uh, Klaus Schwab, who was, you know, Klaus Schwaben. It was called, yeah, the World Government Summit. And uh, I just forgot one word. One. Say it. 
No. Say the word. <laughs> oh, man. But, you know, he was up there storming and stumping for the base of the world and total control of everyone. And uh, we're going to hear it right now. Let's check it out. And we are just now where we move into the exponential phase. And I agree. Artificial intelligence, but not only artificial intelligence, <clears throat> but also the metaverse, new space technologies, and I could go on and on, synthetic biology. Our life in 10 years from now will be completely different, very much affected, and who masters those technologies in some way will be the master of the world. Oh, perfect. I, I, I mean, wow. You're telling me that guy is not a dead-on candidate to play Victor Von Doom in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? He's even got the I mean, accent and everything. You could do it with AI. Just put an iron mask on him. I'd like to see you work on that between sometime between now and forever. Mm. That wasn't the most surprising one, though. Uh, Tesla, SpaceX CEO, owner of Twitter, Elon Musk, joined remotely. And uh, in a way that I've only seen it kind of done once ever, when someone went to the World Economic Forum and kind of pushed people around to get to the front of the pack and talked about how it's America first or get the fuck out, mm -hmm. Donald Trump uh, kind of gave similar tones to uh, his speaking event there where now that he's in control of a whole bunch of stuff, he doesn't really like it when the government meddles in it. It's pretty funny how that works out when he's just kind of like the billionaire who invented Tesla, the project that he thought was going to fail and then blew up. It's, it's kind of like smooth sailing, but... Once he gets into those government contracts with SpaceX and Starlink and starts getting things like security clearances and then doesn't go with like just a traditional regime narrative like is always pumped out in the media and they start to say we're going to investigate you for everything from the IRS to criminally and make your life miserable and then jumps on Twitter and we've seen how the entire worldview of him has kind of gone sideways from the left, right, since that's happened. It kind of changes your perspective on things. So where maybe a decade ago, Elon Musk didn't really give a shit what the World Economic Forum did and, and only cared that he could probably sell Neuralink to him and stuff like that. Now it's kind of like all intrusive of his life. And he, he doesn't want to be controlled by the overlords or be an overlord himself. Let's hear him. I think I should say, and I know this is called the World Government Summit, um, but uh, I think we should be maybe a little bit concerned about uh, actually becoming too much of a single world government. Um, if, if I may say that we want to avoid creating a civilizational risk by having, um, frankly, this may sound a little odd, too much cooperation between governments. Um, you know, if you know, if you look at say the at history and the rise and fall of civilizations, um, the, the really all throughout history, civilizations have risen and fallen, but it hasn't meant the doom of humanity as a whole because there have been, there've been all these separate civilizations that were separated by great distances. And so, um, you know, say like, while Rome was falling, it, uh, it, you know, uh, Islam was rising. And uh, so you had like a, uh, you know, the, the sort of caliphate do, doing incredibly well while Rome was doing terribly. Um, 
and that actually ended up being a source of preservation of knowledge. Half uh, the audience and, uh, is Saudi. Uh, and many uh, scientific advancements. And so, um, so I think we want to be a little bit cautious about uh, being too much of a world, of a single uh, civilization, because if we are too much of a single civilization, then if, if, we're, if the whole the whole thing may collapse. Um, I'm not, obviously not suggesting war or anything like that, but I think we want to be a little bit wary of actually cooperating too much. It sounds a little odd, but um, but we, we just we, we want to have some amount of civilizational diversity, such that if uh, if something does go wrong with some part of civilization, that the whole thing doesn't collapse uh, and 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 you know humanity keeps moving forward. What do you think about that? I mean, obviously there was more uhs and ums in there than actual words because he's not a fantastic public speaker, but, you know, most is the case with a lot of people who are ridiculously brilliant. Uh, They don't have very high standards when it comes to social skills and they don't care Mm -hmm. because they're smarter than everybody else. But but the overall narrative there and, and to the audience he was speaking to, I mean, if that was in a Twitter space or something, people could have been like, oh, yeah, shut up. You're just part of the cool kids club anyways, and you hate us, and you're going to enslave us with your robot technology at some point in the future. <laughs> but he was he, he remotely went into the belly of the beast and kind of gave a, no, I, I, don't, I don't think we should do that ever. Yeah, it seems like this would be a bad idea. You know, moving forward, it looks like not only is he getting excluded from the cool kids club here, domestically maybe around the world i mean he starts i mean you show up at the one world government forum bullshit and you aren't on board say we don't need one world government pumping your pom-poms you're probably going to get asked out of the uh the next event maybe you're not going to be invited to schwabi's birthday party right but then you know he's at the super bowl a week ago with rupert murdoch so you know I, i i i saw a tweet from him the other day and it was kind of him subtweeting himself on this video that somebody shared. And I said, I I just would like to, for a moment, pick this guy's brain to where he's always voted Democrat. He's only voted Republican once in his entire life. It was for a Republican Mm -hmm. uh, U.S. House representative in the district where, you know, he votes and uh, says he voted for Joe Biden in the last election and looks like, to him that Ron DeSantis is more of an attractive candidate right now than Donald Trump. And I said, I just, I just would like to really pick that guy's brain. Not like I said, with the Neuralink, but just in general to, to find out like, how do you get from a to B? Yeah. And, uh, like we know a right now, the Biden regime is destroying everything on this planet, literally. Uh, but is it just, a personality thing with Donald Trump? Or do you really think what Ron DeSantis brings to the table, which we're going to be doing a lot of unpacking on that over the course of the next year and a half? Noah teased it again because he's such a man. I would hate to see you if you found the Christmas presents before Christmas. <laughs> but uh, th- there was a, you know, a clip that's been going around the internet right now. And, and we wanted to touch on it. There's like a 40 second version and then closer to a two and a half minute version of, of George Soros who gave a prepared statement for this event, read off a script and was talking about, you know, beltway politics and especially focused on the Republican party uh, and it's differences between what's going on with Joe Biden right now here in the United States. So a lot of people took it in like he might've endorsed or preferred a Ron DeSantis over Donald Trump. But when you kind of listen to the whole clip and how he crappily unpacks it because he's a thousand years old, it looks like he's just reading it though too. Like, so somebody just handed it to him. I hear fucking read this old man. Put put some uh, 
clothespins on your eye flaps so you can see where you're going. We we started out this this half segment here with the real life Victor Von Doom and we're rapping in our last audio clip of the day with, with the mummy. Well, with the real life Emperor Palpatine. Oh, there, there so you go. I mean, you throw a rope yeah. with a hood on that guy and it's yeah. literally him. And uh, well, according to what he said at the world government meeting, is that everything is going according to plan. Let's hear him. <laughs> Trump attracted a lot of non-educated white followers, but his biggest backers were the mega rich, and he certainly delivered for them. First, he cut their taxes. Second, uh, he uh, nominated the Supreme Court ideologues who embraced an extreme version of the Republican agenda. Third, he brought the Republican Party under his control by threatening those who didn't swear loyalty to him with a challenge in the primaries. Lastly, he encouraged Republican-controlled states to introduce outrageous measures of voter suppression to ensure that his party would remain in power indefinitely. With that program, he was almost re-elected in 2020. My hope for 2024... His hope. ...is that Trump and Governor DeSantis of Florida will slug it out for the Republican nomination. Trump has turned into a pitiful figure, continually bemoaning his loss in 2020. Big Republican donors are abandoning him in droves. DeSantis is shrewd, ruthless, and ambitious. He is likely to be a Republican candidate. Uh, this could induce Trump, whose narcissism has turned into a disease, to run as a third-party candidate. That would uh, lead to a Democratic landslide and force the Republican Party to reform itself. But perhaps I may be just a little bit biased. Now, when you hear the entire clip and not just the 40-second snippet that was going around the Internet for the last day and a half, doesn't it make a whole lot more sense on what he's talking about? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, he talked about the rise of nationalist populism in the United States and how Donald Trump was at the forefront of that. Uh, he talked about... Donald Trump helping to abolish things like the overruling of Dobbs at the Supreme Court and including the justices that he put there to help make it happen. Uh, you know, he talked about keeping Texas red. Um, he also talked about hyping up Ron DeSantis, which, listen, there's money coming in from a lot of people in the United States, the Singers, the Griffins, all those groups, the Yees. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a knockdown dragout fight if all of these candidates get into the Republican primary. But the fact of the matter is this. They are really hoping for uh, a disenfranchised 
and beat up candidate getting into the general election cycle. It just seems like George Soros is, is, is cheering for their primary to be so bloodied that the, the DeSantis base, regardless of how big it is, I don't think it caters too much outside of Florida, uh, is going to feel, I guess, so disenfranchised that they're going to be reluctant to go to the polls and Donald Trump won't be able to recreate the 74 million votes that he was able to achieve in the 2020 presidential election. What do you think, Noah? Did, did, when you kind of hear the whole thing out there, do you, do you get a little bit more insight on what they're... It's not really about distancing ourselves from Trump and backing Ron DeSantis. It's more like we hope by our meddling, and I'm talking about the world government, the, mm-hmm. the WEF and, and all those, the gang over at Davos, that they can meddle in, in everything so much with, with their huge billions of dollars that they can kind of, you know, keep Democrats in the White House for as long as it takes to get this agenda across the finish line. Well, that's what they want. They want to tip the scales to the point where all the stuff that they want to have happen is going to happen. And if they just have to fund whatever the next asshole that's just going to do whatever they they want him to do, and that's the web was the one brilliant thing about Trump. It's like he didn't do what other people wanted to do. He did what was good for America. Yeah. And now was he was he a hundred percent, one hundred percent like you know not doing stuff for his own interest? I'm sure it's something. He's a businessman. Yep. There's gonna be th- there's gonna be stuff. Wants to look good, and sometimes you do things to make yourself look good. Yeah. Um, I liked it more when it was you know turning Soleimani into a. Shadow on the tarmac at the Baghdad airport. I did like that one. Or or sending attack dogs into a tunnel chasing out Baghdadi. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, making China bend the knee and, and ask us for rice nicely because taxes and tariffs. Dude, we could, we could just unfuck so much stuff right now. All we'd have to do is just bring back Trump era policies and sanctions and tariffs. Which and is, problem solved on so much stuff. Well, that, that's, that's the good part about it. No is, shots fired. Not even a balloon. Literally and figuratively. No sidewinders (laughs) deployed. No Fox 2s. We we are going to be tracking this now as as the uh, presidential primary field is beginning to take its initial shapes with Donald Trump and Nikki Haley now in the race. And, uh, you know, in regards to all of the disasters going on, whether it be our response to whatever China is doing, the money that we keep funneling into Ukraine, or uh, the tragedy that's going on in Ohio right now, we're going to keep on these stories and more. Keep bringing them to you in a way we can only do on steak for breakfast. Better than average way to close out the week. What do you think, Noah? I've had worse weeks. I mean, it could be raining acid, chemical bullshit here in California, but it's not yet. Yet is the key word. If you enjoyed this episode of the show and want to check out the now over 200 other editions of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, FM Player, Podout, and Google Podcasts, or even in the Samsung Store. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go to all of our amazing guests today. We sat down with Nick Sorter for the first time. He's doing some amazing work on the ground out there in Ohio regarding the uh, train derailment. He's a brave man. I wouldn't go anywhere near that fucking place. And we're looking forward to having him back again soon. Congressman representing New York 3, George Santos. Great to have him back since he's been sworn in. That was a fun segment. And then we can't say enough about the great work that investigative journalist John Solomon's doing out there. Thank you guys for taking time out of your busy schedules to come hang out with us. Friends, don't forget to go out and throw some of your hard-earned cash at our partners because when you do that, the only thing that happens is you help make small American businesses great again. Namely, my pillow. Got to get those version 2.0s. Buy one, get one free when you enter promo code STAKE. They've got everything else going on down there like Mike Lindell always does. They got the Air Lindell My Slippers, the My Dog Beds, the Robes, and Giza Dream Everything. If you want the coffee, you can enter promo code STAKE and get 25% off your order. 
50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear. And the best damn headphones that I've ever owned can only be found at Odyssey. If you're in the studio, you're doing some recording, maybe some music, even a podcast, make the investment. Get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website there. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs. Noah had some of my man rubbed beefy leftovers today. It was good. I actually have some uh, some stuff in the fridge right now, mm. ready for tomorrow. Excellent. You put promo code steak in here, you get 15% off. Manrubs.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram too. My Patriot Cigars. Go out and support our good friend Alan. My Patriot Cigars, 15% off when you enter promo code steak. Any order over 100 bucks, free shipping, $10 e-gift card included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. And our newest addition to the Partners family, Farmer Bill's Beef Jerky. You enter promo code steak here, you're getting $5 off your order. You order a 12-pack of jerky, free shipping. You can find them at FarmerBill'sProvision.com. Upcoming shows... We're locked and loaded coming in here over the course of the uh, next week. We've got a good one coming in on Tuesday. We'll be back. Darren Beatty's going to be here. Everybody loves him. We're going to be talking about a bunch of different things with Mr. Beatty. Jim Nels will be coming in, too, to talk about a new uh, series he's been putting out. It's all about the decline of some of our historically important major cities across the United States. Mm. Uh, it's something we talk about on the show quite often. Let me guess. There's going to be a significant amount of them that are run by the left absolutely his uh crown jewel of his three-part series is chicago which is where he's based out of so we all know what it's like over there and we'll be sitting down with kimberly guilfoyle for the first time that seems like it's going to be a uh, better than average show to say the least we'll be back on friday dr peter mccullough will be here as will cash patel and devin nunez nice and uh we're gonna have boris jumping on with us on the 28th and mark mitchell the man behind Rasmussen Polling is going to be joining us for the first time. We're going to get to the bottom of what's going on with the polls. We're also going to preview the presidential primary season that's getting kicked off right now. Friends of the Week, got my list right here. Our Truth Social Twitch streamer crew, they were live yesterday doing a little Minecraft. CSM Master and Siberian Kitten, we see you. Beastie Man 420, we see you as well. Some call me Tim79, always sharing. Gotta love all of our friends on Twitter as well. William, Spoopy, Nightwing X, Janelle, a mouthy mom, etc. You guys have been killing it. No, we can't forget the meme team. I've been doing a lot of sharing this week. Mostly peaceful memes, dumbass Photoshop, real Al Gorbachev, right wing savages. That Southern dude. The real meme DeLorean's back. You can see it on our Instagram. CP3 meme, Namrock Namrock. Richard Ratboy had a couple of heaters this week and also coming back. We haven't seen him in a while. Remember Breadline Bernie, Noah? Breadline Bernie? Now it's Breadline Bernicus. No. That's what happens when your accounts get nuked. Guys, things to remember between now and Tuesday. Number one, do your own research. I tell you what, Nick Sorter's doing his own research out there in Ohio, and uh, he gave us some pretty good receipts today. Number two, start a podcast. Yep. Like it. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness. Anything that was said at the world government alliance meeting this week we want to do the direct opposite of that we don't talk about american greatness enough we need to start talking about it again and last but certainly not least 
Let's see what happens. This has been episode 214 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, and we'll be back on Tuesday with episode 215. Dr. Darren Beatty, Jim Nels, and Kimberly Guilfoyle, to say the least. On behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. And take care. Everything is proceeding as I have foreseen.